Hello, folks. Welcome to Campaigniacs, the final Campaigniacs edition during the actual Saskatchewan 2020 election campaign. I'm Murray Mandrick, political columnist for the Regina Leader Post. And joining me as usual, Arthur White Premy, who is our legislative reporter and has been diligently and exhaustively following this campaign uh, for way too long now. Joining us today, old buddy. Uh, good, our good friend of Arthur and I at the Saskatchewan Legislature, Adam Hunter, who covers politics for CBC TV and radio and everything. Uh, my pal on the ledge chat, one of the members of the uh, panel for the debate. Hi, Adam. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Let's get right down to it because there's probably a lot of ground to cover uh, one last opportunity. Arthur, where were they making gains and grounds this week? What did you see as their strategy uh, in terms of at least the two major campaigns? Uh, Where were they? uh, uh, What is it telling you about where this campaign is going into an election five days from now? Well, first off, Murray, I I, I have to tell you and all of our and all of our viewers that that I have been in in self-isolation since the weekend be, because oh. of this this unfortunate pandemic but uh obviously I've been uh following I guess that explains the, the hair. <laughs> yes exactly exactly I have not left my house in days but I've been trying to follow matters uh uh from the comfort of my home uh and uh it it, it seems to me quite interesting how much time Scott Moe has been spending in Saskatoon I'm I'm not sure if you know anyone else has been noticing this, but but he hasn't been back to Regina in 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 well over a week. He's been spending a lot of time in Saskatoon and in Prince Albert. I'm not sure what we should read into that, but it does seem as though the SAS party is is trying to increase the presence of the party leader in that domain and, well, and perhaps. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Let, let's quickly bring Adam into that because we were having a bit of a conversation about this before. Uh, what? Does that smell like to you, Adam? Like, is is it because Regina is being a bit written off in terms of at least gains for the SAS party, or is it because Saskatoon seems that much more fertile to you? If you look at the the poll numbers, Regina is really tightening between the NDP and the SAS party. So you can read into that a little bit and say that maybe the SAS party doesn't think they're making gains in Regina. Uh, I think if you look at the seats that may be up for grabs, uh, the Regina seats that are held by the NDP seem to be safe seats uh, with Lakeview, Douglas Park and uh, Rosemont, Elphinstone Center. Those are the last two are traditionally really NDP strongholds. When you look at Saskatoon, I think it's really interesting that uh, Scott Moe spent uh, made two trips to Riversdale specifically and Mar Friesen's campaign yeah. and he ran against uh, Daniel Chartier in the last election it was very close uh, she won and Murray as you know and Arthur uh, Riversdale this is like NDP uh, hallowed ground you have uh, Roy Romano Lauren Calvert in this seat uh, traditionally and it's not being seen as one that's uh, that's really going to be up for grabs I think the NDP is probably fairly confident we haven't seen a lot of Ryan Miley in Riversdale but he's uh, they're definitely aware that the that this the SAS party and Scott Mo campaign has been spending a lot of time there. You mentioned PA as well. I think uh, both parties would like to uh, PA. Moose Jaw is another one that both party leaders have been to a couple times. Ryan Miley, we've seen the ads. You know he's a farm boy from near Moose Jaw, and uh, his bus the other day that he he took this SDC bus, which I'm sure we'll get into, had Moose Jaw on the front. Um, so oh, I think they're right. really, tr- yeah, they're trying to play up the Mushta thing, and I think again, both parties see those as battlegrounds. Even though um, Mushta 
and one Musha Seen, one PAC to have a little bit more of a gap as far as the NDP having to make up. Uh, but you can really tell a lot from where these leaders are going, where they've spent their time, and specifically Ryan Miley. Uh, I've spent a lot of time following the Miley campaign. I'm kind of locked into Regina here, and it wasn't on purpose. It's basically because he spent more time making announcements in Regina. We've only seen Scott Moe and Regina a couple of times, uh, in almost as many times in Moose Jaw. Well, let's talk about a few seats. And jump in if you wish, Arthur, because I'm curious to get a few opinions other than my own. Wall Shakers, why has no one been there when you think that seat would be uh, up for grabs in Regina, given all the turmoil with Sandra Moran's nomination? Uh, one seat that I'm kind of curious about. Uh, they did kick off the campaign, they being the SAS party, in uh, Regina, or Regina Pasqua, where uh, Mohamed Fayez seems to be in trouble, but I haven't really seen them back. Today, they're in Lakeview, where I don't think the SAS party has a chance. What's going on here strategically? I don't really fully appreciate what they're doing here. Or is it just simply a matter of you have to be someplace and it's not maybe the best thing in the world to always be in the same writings because that makes it a little bit too obvious? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it the same way that we just heard from Adam, uh, there's a lot more uh, seats that are potentially in play for the SAS party in Saskatoon. Uh, they, I mean, Riversdale was, I think, the third closest riding in 2016, as as strange as that is. Uh, whereas I don't really see any feasible pickups for the SAS party in Regina. Um, whereas there's at least four or five that are feasible pickups for the NDP. Walsh Acres is an interesting uh, case. Um, perhaps we haven't seen Scott Moe there because they feel sufficiently confident in the vote split on the left between Kelly Hardy and Sandra yeah, yeah. Morin that it's pretty much a lock uh, for the SAS party. Uh, both candidates on the left will dispute that. But uh, from the beginning, it seems like Derek Myers has seemed pretty confident with his uh, with his door knocking lead and uh, with what the Morin Hardy split is going to do for that particular constituency. Well, Adam, I'm going to bring you in here because, folks, this is the ultimate nod. We were talking about <laughs> the ultimate guy, North of Dudney. Everything that you want to know, North of Dudney, ask Adam. But your your folks, are, I think, are, are in the Wall Shakers riding, yeah. aren't they? And that's I can't remember if you grew up there or not. But um, no. but is uh, is that the case where uh, and you and and you've, you're familiar with all the candidates uh, there? Could it be a situation where the SAS party bloody confident in uh, in taking that seat that it's just not worth the time and trouble or? This is kind of flipped where Sandra Morin had a real advantage because she was nominated early. And of course, we remember that, you know, Warren Stanley uh, resigned his seat to run in the federal election. And that seat's been open since uh, last September. So Sandra Morin had a big head start uh, with name recognition, uh, you know, door knocking, let's say, you know, getting a team together. Her team has now joined her on the independent side. And we know that there's been a bit of turmoil and, and back and forth there with the NDP um, being a... Uh, I know proud of OD, as you mentioned, uh, Marie, and from that area, I'm, I'm really struck by, you know, seeing a lot of Sandra Morin signs, but a lot of Kelly Hardy signs, too. And, and they, she came in very, very late in the game, much later than, than Sandra Morin, uh, even with the stories coming out. And uh, Derek Myers, who, as you mentioned, has 
has had an advantage of being the only candidate there for quite a while yeah. uh, with any certainty. So I think that the SAS party thinks that's a pickup, whereas maybe two months ago, the NDP would be counting on that as a win. So that one's one that I think may be a missed opportunity for the NDP looking back. We don't know the details on what happened with Sandra Morin and, and the party behind the scenes. Um, but that could be one, you know, on election night where we're going, OK, this is one they could have picked up, which is traditionally has been a, a SAS, uh, sorry, an NDP seat to, uh, with the exception of uh, Warren Stanley winning uh, a couple of elections ago. Uh, and I think, as you guys mentioned, uh, the Regina ones, I think, that are really, really in play are Coronation Park, which is Mark Doherty's seat. He's the speaker for the SAS party that's traditionally been very, very close, uh, even with Mark Doherty winning very narrowly in the last two elections. And uh, Regina Pasqua, as you mentioned. Uh, that one I'm really curious about because Murray, you know that area really well, yeah. and uh, and and I think the, the 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 really interesting thing there is Harbor Landing, and this is a mm -hmm. brand new neighborhood that wasn't really in play I think four years ago, and to the extent that it is now, we have a, a packed school there. They've announced another school coming up there. It's a real mix of uh, you know very nice big houses mixed in with some apartments and condos. Uh, new Canadians, uh, new yeah. small, young families. So I think how those people decide to vote and where they go is is really anyone's guess. And I think the parties are both signaling that. I know Arthur knows this as, as something that's up for grabs. Uh, in Saskatoon, I think we're, we're, there's more certainty with some of the, the Saskatchewan party seats because we have a lot of cabinet ministers running for re-election there and they won by very large margins. But I, I think there's really a handful of seats in Saskatoon that are for grabs. And the one we haven't touched on yet is me. I was going to ask which, you about that. Yeah. Is, yeah, are we and gonna I think, see? Sorry, are, are we going to see uh, uh, Mo in uh, in right in uh, uh, Ryan Miley's home turf in the last I, few days of the campaign, just yeah. out of spite, if nothing else? I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> and, I, and I'm I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen more Ryan Miley in Mewasin. Uh, there was like, some criticism four years ago of Cam Broughton not spending enough time in Westview, that he was doing too much time campaigning. Maybe that's a signal that the NDP thinks that it's safe and they're okay, but uh, this isn't a seat that that the NDP is, is, it's for sure, for sure, NDP has been split between the Liberals and the NDP and the, the SAS party in the past three ways. And uh, and of course, we know that this last two elections, Dwayne Lingenfelter lost to a rookie in 2011, and Cam Broughton lost to a rookie in 2017. Both were upsets. 2016, sorry, both were upsets, and Ryan Miley is up against that same history uh, against Rylan Hunter, who is, yeah, I'm told, you know, door knocking. He's a U.S. Huskies alumni. He's well known in the community, and he actually knocked off Chris Carrett in the nomination, which was a surprise as well. So I uh, shouldn't be taken for granted there. And I, I think the last couple of days will tell us a lot about where the real horse races are, where these where these leaders decide to go. And um, I think they lucked into yeah. a real a, a real thing as the SAS party when they lost uh, Daryl Cooper, their Eastview candidate, and Gretch moved into that riding because she is, by all measure, a strong candidate that could mm -hmm. be uh, successful there. And I'm kind of wondering if that even kind of helps the SAS party in Eastview a bit. Are, are there, is there any place do you think the NDP could actually make uh, uh, gains, gains that were, might surprise us a little, uh, either in some of the rural seats where they absolutely have to break through if they ever want to be taken seriously as government uh, as a government option? It, it's this election or, or, or bust in terms of for the NDP in terms of making it through uh, in rural Saskatchewan, because we saw what happened last time when when they couldn't sort of establish a stronger vote. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't 
think it's feasible for the NDP to actually win seats outside of the four biggest cities. That being said, I think that they need to show uh, uh, signs of progress in some of the rural ridings that they've been targeting. The NDP has been really clear with us about where they're investing their resources. So I think that we're going to be watching really closely whether they're able to make gains and close the gap to some extent in seats like Last Mountain Touchwood, Indian Head Milestone, Batosh, Sask Rivers, Battlefords. Those are really, I think, going to be the gauge. These are ridings that the Sask Party won by approximately 2,500 to 2,700 votes uh, four years ago. If the NDP can close that and get up to percent support in some of those ridings, I think it'll be a meaningful sign that they've created a beachhead where they can maybe make progress in rural Saskatchewan um, in the coming elections. Because as we talked about early on in this campaign, Murray, like it, it, it's just so tough to win some of those suburban Saskatoon seats. Uh, like They're like rural seats. They really are. Yeah, essentially that, that, that you need to have some... Uh, some options, right? I mean, and if the NDP is continuously locked out of, you know, rural Saskatchewan, I, I, I just don't see how they're ever going to form government. Adam, do you see a place where, based on the advanced polls or anything else that we're seeing uh, right now in this election where people are going to stay home because of COVID, because they see large SAS party uh, leads, where that actually might make a bit of a difference, where things uh where votes might be taken for granted and uh, uh, and change things directly. We, we've talked very little about how this election is being affected by what's going on around us with COVID-19, but sure in hell is. We know this, well, as Arthur said, he he's home self-isolating. The campaigns are way different than they used to be. We aren't going to see big rallies on election night because we can't. Is, is there any way where, any place that you see where that might translate uh, actually, in terms of seat difference uh, come uh, Monday night. I don't know about seat difference. I think voter apathy, when you, like Arthur mentioned, some of these places where there's just a huge SAS party lead, um, and even, you know, for the same token, uh, places where there's an NDP lead, people may go, okay, well, this is a safe NDP seat, and I'm, I'm not going to go vote. We may see voter turnout go down. Um, uh, to Arthur's earlier point about the beachheads, I think the NDP needs to show uh, percentage gains in vo in vote count. Um, they they yeah, may I not. Think that's a good point. Uh, yeah, they, they may they may only you know gain a few seats, uh, but if they if they can up that vote percentage, get the SAS party uh, well under you know 60, 55 percent, and then start closing that gap, I think their supporters may see that as a bit of a victory. Um, I was at a polling station yesterday. I can tell you that everyone was wearing a mask. It was actually very quick. Uh, I saw, you know, a, a lot of seniors, which we do expect on, on advanced polling days. Uh, I don't know how the parties are attacking, getting people out to the polls, uh, because, you know, in the past, we'd be, people would be driving, uh, you know, sir, you know, some to the polls. Maybe that's something that people are comfortable with. I don't know. Uh, and I think the one thing we've really missed in this campaign, I know it's, 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 kind of been uh, too bad from a reporting perspective is, you know, Arthur and I go to these announcements and there's the same four or five uh, staffers, maybe yeah. some people that are supporting, you know, either party and you see uh, the, you know, the handful of journalists and it's the same dozen people every time. We're not getting these big rallies where we can talk to supporters, where we can uh, get a sense of how things are going, what issues uh, people are really drawn to. And I think the one thing that I would say this campaign is really missing other than that is 
when you talk to people about the election, no one says, okay, this is the reason I'm voting, or this is the real thing that made a splash to me, or that made an impression on me. Even in the debate afterwards, you weren't hearing people going, uh, you know, online or otherwise, hey, I really like that thing they announced that is new, and that's something that's good because people tend to vote i think on one issue or or maybe the candidate they really like and not a lot of door knocking or facetime with their candidates uh i think we're really missing that big splash from either party we saw the stc bus as i mentioned rolled out uh this week as a bit of a prop but uh other than that there really hasn't been that moment during the campaign you know earlier on we had uh, scott mo coming out and disclosing his 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 driving history which yeah. It was a, a new revelation, but I, I don't think we're going to go back to this campaign and go, hey, there was that one really memorable moment uh, or one really memorable promise that that either party came out with. This is something that's been, I think, very predictable. And I think uh, all three of us, you know, going into this, something we probably expect. That, that's mm-hmm. interesting on a couple levels because there is a lot of anger uh, on in this campaign. You just have to uh, tune into your Twitter account or tune into any Facebook account and and. There's keyboard warriors out all over the place, uh, hammering away, particularly at the the SAS party from what I've seen. But yet it doesn't really seem to be translating into anything viable for uh, vote changes. Or is there a sense that anyone can harness these sentiments, Arthur, to the point of actually producing something that's going to make a difference? Or is it people just basically... Uh, spouting off and and that's about where it's going to remain in, in terms of the outcome of this election campaign. Well, I, I, I've always been pretty skeptical about how much what people say on Twitter matters for the real world of politics. Uh, but that being said, the parties seem to be taking it seriously, particularly do, yeah. on on Facebook, where they've been spending thousands of dollars. Uh, what, what I really enjoyed is the having the ability to go and look at party spending, which Facebook is thankfully transparently making available for us and uh the ndp got off to an early lead in the campaign that being said i want to go back to what adam said about the campaign events and and how different they've been and how they've just basically been the same staffers over and over again and it makes me wonder how much this strategy of reading the tea leaves from riding visits even matters. Because if a party leader goes to a riding and they're just talking to the media with a few of their staffers, does it really matter that Scott Moe is going to Saskatoon Riversdale? Does it really matter that you know, Ryan Miley is going to Regina Coronation Park? It, it's 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 uh, really just for the media market. I mean, they're really just talking to us. And so long as they're in one of the two big cities, they're going to get that exposure. So I'm just not sure how much the leaders tour even matters in this day and age when people are locked up in their homes and you can't really even come to supercharge the volunteers i think i think think a great example of that is battlefords i keep wondering why scott mo keeps going back to the battlefords that's not one that everyone thinks is really in play and nor through mention is more where the ndp thinks you know they can get more votes uh they have a new candidate there that could be part of the reason but also to the media market thing, you know, that's close to Saskatoon where you can get to Saskatoon from there. The Saskatoon media will go out and cover that event. And uh, that's really what they want. Same with Mo- the Musha is a similar one, right? Musha we do see as more of a battleground, but Regina media will go there. You'll get your pool camera, which we've been doing. I mean, the, the viewers may not know that, but um, you know, the, the broadcast media has been going together every 
every day uh, and making up a schedule. So, you know, between CTV Global and CBC, there's always a camera. So we don't have three cameras uh, at every event. So we limit the numbers there and then they send that footage out. So uh, as long as they know they can get a, a, a pool camera to an event uh, and they know it's within driving distance, I think that's something that's been in play. But, you know, Scott Moan did a lot of his um pre-election tour before the election where he was hitting all these little communities and doing FaceTime with with different candidates and MLAs. Uh, and, and Ryan Miley did the same, mostly in Regina and Saskatoon, but he was around a little bit. I think that's uh, part of the reason why we're not seeing them spread out uh, also the pandemic. But Arthur made a great point there about, about the media. Uh, they're trying to get in front of as many faces as possible. And back to the Facebook thing, you don't need the media there necessarily uh, because you're putting all these announcements, photo ops and things on Facebook all the time. You're getting your message out. You're doing your memes. So I think that's another advantage and something that we've seen grow over the last four years where the parties are spending a lot of their time and money and resources on getting that Facebook message out, making sure that all these events are taken live and people can watch them at home and comments in real time. So um, I don't, I, I think we sometimes get in our echo chamber on, of, you know, what we're seeing on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, but I don't think that really translates to average voter. Uh, they're not paying that close of attention to it. The people that are paying close of attention to it, maybe the partisans who already have made their mind up and they're not, you know, on the fence either way. They're just trying to drive the conversation. That, that takes us to where campaigns are somewhat changing compared to where they used to be. And that leads into your next segment on the youth vote, Arthur. Uh, what do you expect to see in terms of the youth vote? And from the, the piece that's coming up, can you explain it and, and tell us what surprised you about what you found out? Yeah. So um, I spoke to uh, – to, uh, Students uh, who were both on the youth debate uh, from uh, Monday uh, evening, uh, they're poli-sci students, so uh, we might be talking to them in the future to get our expert voices uh, in the future generations. Uh, Bronwyn Hearspink and um, also, um, sorry, I have a stutter, as you know, and Alana DeCorby, who are 19 and 21. Uh, so this will be their first election. And I got a sense of how young people are, are are grappling with the decisions of who to vote for for the first time in this unique election. Uh, really, I, I I got the sense that, that, that a lot of them are nervous about the economy, uh, and, and that certainly plays into the SAS party message. Uh, but, 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 but they're also really prioritizing uh, what they frame as human rights issues and 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 something that really stuck with them and that I didn't necessarily expect was the uh, camp that we had here in Regina uh, yeah. that was calling for change in suicide and 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 Ryan Miley's attacks about why Scott Moe didn't visit that camp really resonated with a lot of the young voters that I spoke to uh, that was something that they found to be um, inexcusable. They are totally disgusted with the high rates of suicide in the North and, and, and are really accepting the NDP message that uh, the SAS party plan isn't good enough and viewing it as in action. I don't know whether the youth debate that I attended uh, was was what was, was a, par- a partial picture of the way that young people are feeling. Clearly, it's a certain kind of engaged young voter that ends up going on to that kind of virtual debate. That being said, uh, that really did turn out to be a top issue for a lot of the young voters that I spoke to. I'll leave the last word with you, Adam, and you can start out by saying, Mandrick talking about the youth vote is like... (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you yeah, ask your ask your kids. I think that's yeah. they may have a perspective on that. Uh, I, I think that's really interesting from Arthur. That's a perspective we haven't heard from. I think there are uh, there are voices that we haven't heard from in this campaign because of the, the COVID nineteen pandemic. And you know, it was it's maybe a bit trickier. Maybe it's we need to try a bit harder to find these different voices. But you know, I think seniors is one where uh, this is a big voting block. Um, they're very affected by the pandemic right now. Uh, yeah, and I think, we are. Yes, uh, you know, it, I didn't want to say anything, but I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think, I, I think that's one one area where you have you know people on the higher end of the voting age and the lower end of the voting age. We kind of tend to forget them, and they do um, go out and vote. And I think if if we do see a big youth vote, it'll be I'll be intrigued to see where that goes and uh, wh- how that breakdown is. And I, I'm interested to hear from from our, uh, Arthur's guests. Uh, and I think I just want to give one plug. Uh, watch CBC on election night. You'll see my big head for quite a few hours. And you might see another guy, who, another handsome guy in my picture. Um, sorry, Arthur. Uh, this guy down here. Uh, <laughs> the old guy. Wasn't pipe in the, yeah, yeah, that's right. right. That's right. But thanks okay, for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, guys. Uh, it, this is weird because it's actually surprisingly like every conversation we have every day. So I thank you both for joining us. And... Uh, people, get out and vote. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Arthur. Have a good election for and have a good election night. Thank you. Cheers. Hi again to all, and welcome back to our Campaniacs podcast. I'm here again for our last episode where we're talking about youth issues. And I'm here with two aspiring uh, two, two, two aspiring political scientists from the U of R, Bronwyn Hirspink and Alana DeCorby, uh, who are both uh, in UR Polis, uh, which is the Student Association for All Political Science Students at the U of R, from what I understand. So we'll probably be hearing a lot about, uh, from them in our interviews in the next uh, 10 to 20 years down the road. I'm sure I'll be interviewing you guys <laughs> long into the future. So, But here today, we're, ta- we're here to talk about the 2020 election campaign, uh, where, as I understand it, both of you are going to be voting for the first time in a provincial vote. So that's interesting. And I definitely want to get a sense from both of you about what's going to be driving your decisions. But first of all, I'll just start with some introductions. So starting with uh, Bronwyn, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, what uh, what uh, drew you to politics, and, uh, and, and, and just uh, what your interest in this campaign is? Yeah, so I'm currently in my second year of my honors political science degree. Uh, I sort of like to call back to the event that drove me into politics was when I was in grade four, the 2011 federal election. Um, I just sort of like was hooked and I've never stopped ever since. Um, But yeah, um, so this is the first time I'm going to be voting in this upcoming provincial election. I did get to vote in the last federal election as well. And I'm the events coordinator for UR Polis, as well as this election season. I am an events uh, elections fellow with Future Majority. Perfect. And now we'll jump over to Alana. Tell me about tell me a bit about yourself as well. Hello, all. Uh, my name is Alana DeCorby. I am actually a student in 
philosophy, politics, and economics. It's a PPE degree at the University of Regina. Um, it's a quite unique. Um, I believe it's the only one in Saskatchewan offered. I don't believe it's offered by the University of Saskatchewan, but I might be wrong. Um, I don't have quite the same uh, story as Bronwyn. I was first interested in both philosophy and economics. I always was kind of interested in politics. I thought it was interesting and it was always kind of elusive um, to me as a kid and as a teenager, but I always uh, thought it was pretty interesting. Um, so I started my degree in philosophy. I took some econ classes. I liked it. And then I found this degree and it really hooked me in. And I have been uh, pretty dedicated ever since. Um, I like to like to debate and I like to um, learn different opinions and views. And so it fits really well for politics. It is also my first time uh, voting in provincial election. And I as well had the opportunity to vote in the federal election last, uh, last year. Okay. Well, both of you are likely more tuned in than a lot of young people into this campaign, just kind of given your background and given your interests. But I wanted to ask you just what you're picking up in your social circles, in virtual campus life, as I understand it all is now, uh, about how interested young people are in this campaign and how much they care. Are, are, are we seeing any more mobilization, any more buzz than we usually see? I'll start uh, with Elena. Um, I think I have a, kind of an interesting perspective just because I am um, outside of the city. So I haven't been able to see a lot of the um, youth within the city where I usually am at the university. I guess Bronwyn hasn't either, just not being on campus and all. But from what I can tell, um, it's definitely there. I should say it goes both ways. Um, there's a little bit more mobilization because of the pandemic we're going through. I think that young people and myself included are really worried about the economy that they'll be entering into when they graduate. And uh, I have a, a few colleagues that are uh, just, just graduated. So um, newly graduates that are very concerned with what the Saskatchewan economy is going to look like moving forward. So I definitely think on that end, there is um, some more mobilization, pardon me, and some more interest. But on the other hand, I think that a lot of students, especially maybe rural, are having a little bit more um, trouble getting excited, getting involved. They're not really seeing the posters, the um, events that they can uh, attend. Thankfully, we had um, events like the debate last night that uh, some students were able to get involved. But I have seen or heard that um, people aren't quite aware as they were for the federal election. That could just be um, a sense that I'm getting, but that is definitely something that I that I think um, is a recurring theme so far. Hmm. Now, turning over to Bronwyn, I mean, the... The stats on this are not great. We don't know exactly what the turnout is in terms of provincial campaigns, but for the last federal election, barely half of people 19 to 24 voted. I'm wondering if you're expecting that to change and why you think that is. Well, I think we're seeing an uptick in terms of the trends on youth voting, um, especially within the 2015 and the 2019 election, we have seen some steady gains. Uh, so I'm hoping that that upward mobility will continue. There's a really interesting report done by the Samara Center for Democracy 
that outlines sort of how young people are getting involved in politics. And it shows that young people are becoming even more politically active than some of their older counterparts, but not necessarily in the voting capacity. Hmm. One would think one would normally associate with political activity. Young people are more likely to get involved in a political campaign. Young people are more likely to talk with their friends about political issues, sign petitions, uh, get involved with social activism. So I think we're just needing to see, and I think that's what Future Majority is trying to do as well, uh, try to translate that youth excitement for social uh, change and for political change and actually bring that to the ballot box. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hopeful for the future. Uh, I think especially within Regina over the summer, we saw a lot of uh, mobilization among young people on specific social issues, uh, looking at the Black Lives Matter protest that was uh, the rally that was held at the legislative building, uh, the protests surrounding Tristan Jurache. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, people getting excited and interested about those political issues. And like Alana noted, uh, people worried about their economic futures. Uh, so we're just hoping to see that translate into attendance at the ballot box. Hmm. And as you said, that's part of what you were trying to do through uh, we'll be broadcasting this Wednesday, so I should say Monday's uh, debate uh, in the evening, uh, where we had the NDP leader and the environment minister debating on on youth-focused issues. It was quite broad. It covered a lot of territory. Bronwyn, be, be, because a group that you volunteer for was involved in putting that together, why don't you give me a sense of what you were trying to achieve and whether you thought that the two candidates uh came with the goods for young people. Yeah, um, so I think our sort of main goal and our main goal throughout this campaign is just to have uh, politicians address the concerns that are unique to young people across this province um, and also to sort of break the stigma that young people are politically apathetic. Um, I think as soon as parties understand that young people are a voting base that they can rely on and a voting base that they need to listen to, uh, we're going to progress a lot as a province. Uh, again, it's our future uh, at stake here. Um, so I think not only our generation, but the province as a whole benefits from uh, leaders sort of actually like getting into what young people care about, listening to what we have to say and uh, presenting some policy um, to address that. Uh, but I definitely do think that um, considering, first of all, the amount of media attention that the youth leaders debate uh, got, uh, that we're seeing that sort of um, seeing that goal sort of come to fruition, as well as uh, I don't know if you were able to or any of your listeners were able to watch the actual debate itself. But we were able to get into some good conversations about the issues that matter to young people. Um, I know I left that debate with a sense of sort of satisfaction that the two parties are listening to what young people across the province have to say. So overall, I would say I'm pretty satisfied that uh, and there is a long way to go, of course. Uh, but I think I'm satisfied that this was a good sort of first couple steps towards getting young people's issues uh, and young people's concerns sort of into the political mainstream. Absolutely. To move over to Atlanta, you were a spectator or a participant in that debate. I saw you there. I was watching it, too. I saw your name come out, which is how I tracked you down. Um, so as you were watching that as a spectator, uh, did, did, did you feel that your concerns were being heard? Did you feel like the way that the two candidates were engaging with you know, young people was resonating with you? I would definitely say 
I would say yes. Yeah. I thought that it was such a fantastic event. I know from the UR Polis side of, for both me and Bronwyn, we know that we have, like, it is a struggle sometimes to get um, just students, <laughs> youth, any, any of those um, groups involved and really, um, I guess, fighting and, and yeah, fighting to have their voice heard. And so it was a fantastic event. It was so amazing to see so many people on that call and just all the different people who were able to ask questions, who were able to um, just listen and hear what our politicians had to say. Um, as what you said about if I was satisfied with what they had to say, mm -hmm. I think that's much more of a personal political um, <laughs> opinion. I was a, I, I had said this earlier today, but I was a bit disappointed that Mr. Mo um, of his absence. Um, I think that it really would have benefited the Saskatchewan party. And it was a huge opportunity for Mr. Mo to hear the specific um, issues and questions of the largest voting bloc in this election. If we show up, hopefully we will. That is a side <laughs> note. But um, um, I do really think that it was a missed opportunity for the Saskatchewan party and Mr. Mo in particular. But all in all, I definitely think that both uh, sides had a great debate. They both put forward um, so many policies that they have plans for or have already implemented as uh, for the Saskatchewan uh, party side. And I'm excited to see um, on the 26th what happens. Okay. So to uh, zoom out and look at the campaign as a whole for a second, it, it, it seems like it's been largely about affordability, the economy, investments, and threats about cuts. I was wondering whether the two of you personally feel like these are issues that speak to young people or whether your concerns are being left off the table. Maybe we'll start with Bronwyn. And I'll ask you to put your personal hat on because I know that you're also yeah. speaking sometimes yeah. on behalf of future majority. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, from this point onwards until I change my, um, put my different back hat back on, um, I'm going to be speaking as Bronwyn the individual, uh, not Bronwyn as a future majority volunteer, uh, but I, I think um, I think the concerns of uh, young people have somewhat been addressed. I wish uh, that we see a little bit more. Um, I wish that we could see a little bit more so of a focus on tuition and investments being made in education. And and this got brought up uh, last night at the debate. Uh, the Sask Advantage Scholarship. That's something that I. Um, like really interested in um, sort of seeing being addressed because my first year of university, it was cut from being a universal scholarship to being uh, needs-based. Mm -hmm. um, so now the fact that um, the SAS party is saying that there's an, an increase to the SAS Advantage scholarship, um, I, I would like to personally see the stats on, okay, well now how many people received the scholarship last year when it became that needs-based scholarship? How many people were receiving it prior to uh, I know something I we talked about a lot in my classes this uh, previous year prior to the pandemic was the uh, SAS 2030 growth goals. Um, mm -hmm. I wish that the leaders, especially the leaders of the Saskatchewan party, discussed a little bit more where uh, university students within Saskatchewan fit within that plan. Uh, we saw a lot of discussion last night about um, jobs um, for Saskatchewan workers. Um, I think as a university student, I'd love to hear where students who are educated fit into that uh, plan uh, and whether we're wanting to build more human capital within the province and where that fits within 
Saskatchewan's future goals. Uh, but yeah, I think those are two things that I'd sort of like to see a little bit more uh, emphasis on. But I think overall, um, the concerns of young people are the concerns of all people within this province. Um, and I think a lot of the concerns that young people have overlap with those um, of other people in other age brackets within Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say overall, we're doing well, but we're not perfect. And now for Alana, do do you see yourself recognized or, uh, you know, represented in the party platforms or what they've been talking about on the campaign trail? Do you feel like they're speaking to you as a first time voter? For sure. Yeah. So I definitely agree with Brahman. I just want to digress for a moment. I do agree with Brahman 100 percent about the tuition, the Sask Advantage scholarship, about um, it is really all politics is all about framing your platform. And I feel that the Saskatchewan party in particular is flame, framing this platform as um, increasing the Saskatchewan Advantage Scholarship, pardon me, mm -hmm. um, for $250 on top of the 500 to a total of 750. Mm -hmm. It paints, um, a maybe a misleading picture for some reading that because mm -hmm. they don't um, or don't know just maybe they're not a sec post-secondary student that kind of thing um that it is needs-based so to them it looks like they that the Saskatchewan party is investing in um post-secondary students and that kind of thing but if there is that that little um I'm not quite sure the word but that that hiccup there is mm -hmm. that extra the but I guess I should say but anyway, um, back to your question. I do feel like I am being um, represented in some ways. I, as I mentioned before, it is the economy is uh, right now just because of the pandemic. It is the sole concern. It is the most pressing concern for Saskatchewan right now. But at the same time, I think that this election in particular has really veered away from the social issues. Mm -hmm. um, as we saw last night at the debate, or sorry, I should say Monday night at the debate, um, lots of the social issues were brought up and some of them didn't have answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. Of course, I am referencing um, Minister Duncan, but also Dr. Miley didn't have um, very specific answers as well. I understand that it is a part of the debate and um, given the time, the pressures, all of that kind of stuff, it is sometimes tough to have very specific answers but I think sometimes right now those social issues are getting overlooked which include Indigenous issues, um, the topic of Tristan DeRocher coming to the Saskatchewan Legislative Building and also LGBTQ plus um, issues in Saskatchewan. I think they're getting a little bit overlooked in this uh, election and I think that a lot of young people really really care about those issues. Yeah, so, so long as we're on the topic of things that are getting overlooked, uh, I suppose that I'm surprised by how, uh, to what extent climate change has not become a major issue in this debate, despite the fact that it's a frequent uh, uh, attack line from the SAS party. We certainly see it in the advertisements, but I'm not hearing it in party announcements, and I'm not necessarily hearing the NDP talk very much about it, aside from Renew Saskatchewan, which is certainly part of their plan. I was wondering, do either of you feel like that issue is being treated with the gravity it deserves? Certainly, we've seen mass mobilization on this issue, particularly 
when it comes to young people? Do you feel like it's being taken seriously enough? We'll start with Bronwyn. Well, I think like Alana said, right now, I think the economy is sort of number one in everybody's minds. Um, so it is it is difficult to sort of have a multifaceted campaign and say, we're thinking of all of these policies right now when people are saying, look, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford to stay in my house. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a job in two years when I graduate. Um, so, so it's hard to sort of find a way to fit all of these issues into a into a platform and present it cogently to voters. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that um, I definitely think that climate change should be sort of in the forefront of campaigns. Uh, I think we even saw it last night, or I guess Monday night in the debate um, <laughs> when uh, they discussed uh, green jobs for young people. Um, sort of understanding that uh, climate policy and addressing climate change fits into sort of every aspect of policy and every aspect of uh, looking at where we're at going forwards as a province. Uh, so I think if parties are wanting to sort of find a way to fit uh, environmental policy a little bit stronger within their platform, understanding of ways to sort of mesh it in with issues that are omnipresent in people's minds. Uh, I know personally, I find uh, nuclear development super interesting Mm -hmm. So um, hearing the party leaders discuss that was, especially within the context of how we're going to have jobs for our generation going forward. Um, I thought that was very interesting in it. I'm hoping that uh, that discussion last night made a lot of young voters think, oh, yeah, like there are a bunch of alternatives that I'm not really thinking about. And maybe that got them a little bit more interested in economic policy or in environmental policy. Hmm. So, um it sounds like uh, both of you are pretty engaged. I, I, I take it that you're both planning to vote in the coming election? Definitely. Of course. Okay. I, uh, I won't uh, d delve into the personal details about for whom, uh, but, but, but I'll ask you both if you want to convey a, if you want to convey a message to other young people that are uh, maybe less apprised of what's been going on in this campaign and still hesitating about whether or not they're going to cast their ballots, uh, starting with Elena. Um, if I were to say one thing, I would just say that there's a lot of change that needs to happen in Saskatchewan from a, um, from a youth point of view. Um, I don't think it's acceptable that we have the lowest minimum wage. I don't think it's acceptable. We have the highest tuition of Western universities. Um, what else? Um, just different things. 60% of children um, living on reserve live in poverty. I don't mm -hmm. think that's acceptable. There's, there's a list of things that I think are inadequate with the way our government's running now. And so I think we need change, whether that is in the South Party, if they can show um, some different policies, some different um, institutions, excuse me, if they can institute change or if that is a switch to the NDP, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers. I'm, I won't claim to be an expert, but I definitely think that coming from a youth perspective, we do need change in the province and I'm excited to hopefully see that come. Okay. Uh, and uh, now for Bronwyn, what, what do you want to convey to your peers? Yeah, um, what I would mainly convey and 
as a future majority volunteer, I've been calling a lot of students across the province uh, and having conversations with them about um, their concerns about their life post-COVID. Um, young people are worried right now. Young people are stressed. Um, they're finding it difficult to manage fears about the economy and fears about their future with um, the inability to find a job and the inability to go to school in a normal way. Um, so what I would say is if, if you're feeling stressed right now, this is the opportunity to change things. This is the opportunity for you to make an impact. We've seen a lot of social and political activism from young people across the province and across Canada recently. It's time to channel that energy into uh, going to the polls and making uh, making a vote, making a decision for what you want your future to be. Uh, it is in your hands um, and we do have the ability to influence policy if we let politicians know that we are a reliable voting base. Uh, I think if I could give a quick message to any um, any members of the government who are listening, I think this is the time for you to invest in young people. Uh, invest in making young people politically literate, uh, expanding things like the minister's education council, getting young people involved and making young people uh, active players within democracy and within their government. I think that is a great step to take if we're wanting to see young people and young people's concerns addressed within the Saskatchewan government effectively. I think that's a good high point uh, to end on. So uh, I just want to note for our you know audio listeners uh, who 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 can't see us right now that Bronwyn has a, a backdrop featuring the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Bill of Rights, which which might be one of the most uh, topical uh and, and 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 maybe predictable backdrops given who she is i've also got i've also got these two books that are uh they've got like maps from old um election results too so i'm very on theme today you i've got okay, like, you might win the award for student room <laughs> <laughs> Might win the award for, you know, nerdiest library, but I can definitely uh, sympathize with that. Great. Well, thanks to both of you so much. And thanks to all of our viewers and all of our listeners for sticking with us through this incredible journey of Campaniacs. And uh, I guess we'll see you on the other side when we know what's uh, happened with our beloved uh, Legislative Assembly. So thanks to both of you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Bye-bye.